need that, don't we? You may be seated. So, couple, couple housekeeping things here this morning. One, it is so good to see Teresa King with us. We are so grateful to see you back. And two, I have been asked to share with you some news. I get to spill some tea this morning. I've been asked to share with you some news that is life-changing for a couple of members of our church family. Over a week ago or so, two of our members, Nate Kosky and Maggie Pinner, went on a family vacation with Maggie's family to Florida. They left Ohio as a dating couple, and they have come back as a married couple. So this morning, welcome Mr. and Mrs. Kosky. I am so glad that Pastor Andy picked that song, He Will Hold Me Fast, before this morning because um, we're going to talk about parenting and kids. And before I go any further, um, I know parents, this is hard at times to sit with your children in church. And we do it once every three months on the fifth Sunday. I, but I just want to point something out. I hate it when people say that kids are the future of our church. Kids are our church. Are they not a part of our church? If, if, they, are, if they are in Christ, are they not a part of Christ's church? And so it's, it's only right that kids should be in here with us, that families should sit together. And I know I say this to you, but I really mean it. Dads, if your kids aren't sitting with you and you're not sitting with your kids, go find your kids, sit with them, open the Word of God, and let them see you this morning listen to the Word of God the way that you always do. Right, dads? Don't let them see you on your phone this morning. Don't let them see you straying this morning. Don't let them see you drifting off. Be intentional this morning with your kids. Moms, do it with your kids. They need this this morning. Last week we saw in Genesis chapter 27 what I called a very dysfunctional family. We had a really clear view of a dysfunctional family, did we not? It was a family that was characterized by selfish pursuits, by deceit, by conflict. It was a family that I think we can fairly say was not being faithful to the God who made them, the God who loved them, and the God that provided for them. Everybody agree with me on that? They, they were a family that was blowing it. But if we were to bring that family to 2023, that family could sit right here in this auditorium and blend in with every other family here. They would fit right in. Isaac and Rebecca and their twin boys would walk in there with their families and they would sit down in, in our seats and we, they would be like, you know what, they fit right in here. Because that family is just like every other family today. And I want to be clear, not talking about families outside here, I'm talking about families that are in this room this morning. Families that would profess that Christ is the center of their homes, 
families that would be good church-going Christians that, that are trying to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and, and even sitting with their kids this morning and opening their Bibles like they would always do, right, parents? Families that, that could look the part but if we could look behind the scenes, it would be just like every other family that you and I are, are quite acquainted with, families that we live in, where there's a little bit of dysfunction, where we're willingly unfaithful to God, where, where dads know what God has told them to do, but they go off their own way, where moms know that they shouldn't manipulate their kids and their husbands, yet, yet they do it. And what we have seen is, is that God, in spite of our unfaithfulness, will always, will always, will always, will always be faithful. Kids, look at me. Kids, look up here. I'm going to tell you something that you might think is kind of funny, that you may be like, oh, I can use this against my mom and dad, but I'm going to stop you, okay? I got news for every one of you kids in this room. Your mom and dad are not perfect, and they're going to get it wrong sometimes. Every dad and mom in this room, and am, I, am I being right? They're not going to get it always right. But here's the thing that I want you to know, kids. Whether or not your mom or dad always get it right doesn't excuse you from doing the right thing. And it also doesn't preclude this, or it doesn't nullify or make this point not true, kids. Just because your moms and dads don't get it right doesn't mean that God doesn't always get it right. You can always put your confidence in your heavenly Father. Your parents may get, kids, be honest with me, I know I'm making you sit with your parents, but, and, but be honest with me. How many of you are willing to admit that sometimes your mom and dad don't get it right? Do, our, do, your, do your parents ever get mad at you? Your parents ever get it wrong? I told you they would. You know what? God never gets it wrong. He never gets it wrong. You can always trust him. And that's why it's so important that most of you kids that are in this room, that's why it's so important on Sunday mornings that we, we, we take you to children's church, not because we don't want you in here because you bother us, no. We want you to understand the Word of God right where you're at. And I hope that every Sunday you're in there, kids, you're paying close attention. Kids that are in this room every, every Sunday, teenagers, I hope you're paying close attention because it's not about trying to get your mom and dad off your back and being here at church so that, you know, and doing it with a good attitude. No, you need to be here because you need to hear what God has to say to you. So here's the thing. We saw this dysfunctional family last week, and we might be tempted to think this. There's really no long-term consequences to be paid whenever we as parents get it wrong. We might be tempted to think that, that our willful selfishness only results in just little minor problems. But our text this morning, as we move forward in Genesis, is going to reveal to us that, that the choices that we make as parents 
The choices that we make as parents have long-term effects in the life of our children. Long-term effects. And so this morning, we're going to read Genesis chapter 27, beginning in verse 41, and we're going to read down through verse 9 of chapter 28. Do me a favor, if you have a paper copy of God's Word, open that thing up and put the phone down. (laughs) You ever stop to think about this? One day your phone service could die, and some of us get so crippled by the use of an electronic Bible, we wouldn't even know what to do with the paper one. You can always have a paper Bible, can you not? Until the government comes in and tells you you can't have it anymore, and then I hope you hide it, Okay? But get used to using that paper Bible. Genesis chapter 20. I am sounding old, am I not? (laughs) Amen. Geezer alert. Genesis 27, verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau... Her older son were told to Rebekah, so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Stop right there. If you have had the birthright stolen from you, would you ever forget it? Okay, Rebecca's not thinking clear. Okay, get back to our text here. Till he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both you, of both of you in one day? Then Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Jacob called, or Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from one there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that he blessed him, and he directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives that he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Let's pray this morning. Father, there is no question in any of our minds that we need strong families. Not as a point of pride or boasting, but because the reputation and testimony of our Savior Christ is of vital importance. We need strong families. And so this morning, I pray that you would use your word to correct us, to encourage us, to bring our hearts into alignment with your will. Do that great work, that needful work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So this account, let's remind ourselves, this account is here not just so that we get some facts. This account is here because we need to be trained in righteousness, okay? That's why this is here. This, this, this text, if we pay attention to it, can be of great profit to us if we heed its truth. And I want to be really practical this morning as we go through this. And so to do that, I've kind of gotten away from more of a, of a theological outline, to very, a very practical outline for us this morning. And it's four fruits, four fruits of dysfunctional parenting. And, and, and I want us to see the four fruits. They may not be the only four fruits. In fact, I'm pretty sure they're not. But we see clearly from this, from this account in Scripture that there are four fruits to, to dysfunctional parenting. Go back with me to chapter 27 and verse 41, and we are smacked in the face right after, right after Isaac blesses Jacob, right after he pronounces this great, powerful blessing on him, we are smacked in the face with some cold, hard truth here, and it's the first fruit of dysfunctional parenting, and it's hatred. Look at verse 41. Now, Esau hated Jacob, absolute hated him. The idea there of hatred or hate literally is this. It's a really interesting word in the Hebrew. It means to lay a noose or a trap. And basically what he is saying here is, is that he was absolutely loving the opportunity to build out animosity against his brother. Look down with me at the next verse where, where Rebecca is talking to her son Jacob and she says this, your brother comforts himself by planning to kill you. Your brother comforts himself. Your brother is literally taking delight in his soul with this plot that he has to kill his brother. These words then obviously weren't just thoughts in Jacob's curly red head, were they? He was verbalizing these thoughts. These thoughts were getting out. It wasn't just like, it wasn't just him seething in rage when he sees Jacob get the blessing. He is literally blurting it out to whoever will listen to him, I am going to kill him. I am going to kill him. And it was repeated to his mother so that she hears this and now she has to take action. She's going to do something about it. And I have to ask myself, this is the fruit that we see, hatred, but what's the root of this fruit? What kind of tree is this fruit growing from? And, and I believe that Moses gives us a big clue. The Spirit gives us a big clue where, where he says this in verse 41. Jacob, or Esau hates Jacob because of what? Because of the blessing that he sees Isaac put on Jacob. And what we see here is is that the fruit is, is coming from a father's dysfunction in that the father, one, had picked a favorite, had he not? He had picked a favorite, and not only had he picked a favorite, he was going to do everything in his power to make sure the son that he favored, the son that met his needs, remember, he, he loved the way that Esau went out and hunted, the way that Esau went out and got him game and fixed it for him. He loved the fact that his son made him feel good about being a dad. Every dad in this room can relate to that with your sons. You take pride in having a son. Ooh. Right? Dads, let me tell you something. 
your sons and your daughters are not here to serve you. Rather, you're here to serve them. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought as they got older, they started doing more chores and doing all that stuff. If you have your kids doing chores just because you want them to serve you and not because you're preparing them for life, you're getting it all wrong. They're not here to serve you. As a father, you're to be a servant leader. You're here to serve your children. You serve them all of your life. How do I know this? I have adult children. Guess what? I'm still in the business of serving my children. Now, do they serve me? Yeah, they do. But as a father, you are here to serve your children. They're not, they're not a means to an end. They're not an annoyance until they turn 18 and you get them out of your house. And too often, that's the way we look at them. And Isaac saw Esau as someone who benefited him. And in doing so, he pursued what was best for Esau because it was going to be best for Isaac. And what he had done unwittingly, what he had done unwittingly is, is that he had given Esau false hope, hadn't he? But even more dangerous than that is, what kind of picture of Almighty God did Isaac give to Esau? He gave him the picture of this, that, that, that Almighty God is an unfair, cold, unfeeling God, and that's just not true. He's a God that chose Jacob, the weak one, over him. He's a God that isn't fair. Isaac's actions, no matter what his words were about God, his actions spoke volumes to Esau. And dads, you and I are called to represent our heavenly father. Stop and let that sink in, dads. There's not a one of us in this room that would say we've done it well or are doing it well. Am I right? But that's who we're called to represent. We're called to, to do that. Not only for ourselves, but think about the many children that you know, the many sons that you know that don't have active fathers in their life. Do you realize your role as a godly man has an influence on those as well? And I think sometimes as a church we forget that because we're all happy little nuclear families. No, we are not. We have a responsibility for every one of the sons in this church. And it sounds like, sounds like you're being taken a village to raise a kid. No, it takes a church of godly men to help families be what they're supposed to be. And men, there's a lot at stake here. We do have a good and loving and honest and just God. And we need to be representing that to our sons specifically, and representing that to our daughters so they will choose husbands that will follow that way as well. But Isaac didn't do so, and in doing so, he brought harm on not just Esau, but harm on Jacob as well. Fathers, your actions, my actions, have a profound effect on our children. Let's move forward. Fruit number one was absolute hatred in the family. The second fruit of a dysfunctional family with dysfunctional parenting is separation and discord. 
division. You have, you have, you have all this infighting, and you, you actually, it leads to separation. So look at verse 42. I don't know how many wives that were listening last week, moms that were listening last week, that, that, that as I was talking were like, man, he's being really harsh on moms here. I'm allowed to. It's not Mother's Day, okay, by the way. <laughs> but is it not true, wives, that when you know how to get what you want out of your husbands, come on, little secret, wives, you know how to do it, Right? And we couch it in the fact that, well, he's not leading exactly the way he's supposed to be. Well, maybe you've never given him a chance to lead. But if he's not leading the way he's supposed to lead, I better go do it. And I would say to you, with all love and respect, show me in God's word where God says you get to step in and do that. And what we have here, what we have here is Rebecca not learning her lesson. She's going to manipulate Isaac one more time. She's going to absolutely manipulate him again, and we see it here. And what it's going to do is it's going to bring separation. It's going to bring total disarray into the family. Prior to this point, the decisions that Isaac and Rebecca have made have totally sown discord in their family. When you choose parental, as parentally, when you choose as favorites, you are introducing sibling rivalry into your household, are you not? I think sometimes as parents, we are really obtuse. That's a nice way of saying in front, and not saying in front of the kids that we're really dumb. We choose favorites and we think, oh, the kids don't know. No, your kids know. Your kids know who's favored over the other if you're doing that. And we saw last week, they chose favorites. Even after they were warned about what what these kids were going to be like, God had told them before they were even born that these two were going to be divided. There was already this built-in sibling rivalry that God had interjected there, right? And they went ahead and chose favorites. Rather than working with the situation that they had, they just used the situation and divided it even further. I want you to notice the order of Rebecca's actions here. She finds out that Esau is going to kill Jacob. Let's let's just put on our biblical lenses for a second, okay? Wives, mothers, look up here. Picture yourself in a perfect marriage. You're already in one, right? when you find out that one of your sons intends to harm the other son, where should you go with that? Where should you go with that, wives? You go to your husband, right? Where does she go? Where she's always gone. Where does she go? She goes to the kid. And she makes the plan unilaterally, without consulting the husband at all. Men, before you get high and mighty on your horse, like, that's right, we are the decision makers. No, you're not. You're the leader. There's a difference. You're a leader. You're not the sole decision maker. God gave you a wife with profound intelligence, and he expected you to use her together and to, and to come to decisions together. Any man sitting in this room thinking that he is the chief decision maker of his home and what I say goes is getting it wrong. 
Understand here what should have happened was she should have gone to Isaac. And knowing all the past failures that they've made, she should have gone to Isaac and the two of them should have come up with a solution to this, to this issue, right? And what does she do? She manipulates again. And so she says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to run to my daddy who will take care of you, right? Isn't that what she says? You're going to run to my daddy who will take care of you. So the order, she gets the order wrong. She makes this unilateral decision. And then after telling Jacob what he's going to do, she now goes and manipulates her husband. This isn't, she never once, notice, she never once in verse 46 mentions Jacob's safety, does she? She couches what she wants. Quite honestly, it comes across in here as whining. I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. Oh, woe is me. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, and you know the like these, you know who she's pointing to, right? She's pointing to Esau's wives. She's like, don't let Jacob turn out like Esau. What good will my life be to me? Now, is there some truth in what Rebecca said, church? Is there truth in it? Was she truthful with Isaac, though? What's her motive for sending Jacob away? His safety. Is that a good motive? Yeah, it's not a bad motive, but she went about it dishonestly. Two wrongs don't make a right, but three will. Three will. Figure that out. You'll get that later. Her, her willingness to protect Jacob doesn't, doesn't cover for the sin of manipulating her husband again. And what is the result of this? Well, she sends him away, not just like to the next county or the next state. She sends him away. And what we're going to find out as we go forward in the book of Genesis is he's gone for 20 years and he will never see his mother again, this side of eternity. And what is Rebecca's plan? And this is the way it always is. We make our plans first and then we don't consult God. And, and so we make our plans and we have it all lined up neatly and it's all going to work. You go, your brother's going to forget. Yeah, right. Right. And by the time he forgets, I will send word to you, and you will come back, and you will have a wife from up there, and we will have our happy little home again. Doesn't work that way, does it? She's going to manipulate Jacob away for 20 years, and she will never see him again. You see, the fruit of dysfunction is this, is that we bring division and separation into our families. And it doesn't just take physical distance to have separation in our families. So there, are, there are probably families sitting in this room right now that are just miles apart. And we're just all good fakers, aren't we? There's a third fruit of dysfunctional parenting. And this is a big one. So in chapter 28, 1 through 5, we have the account of of Isaac responding to, to, to the fire that Rebekah has made him aware of, right? She's made him aware of this fire. He's going to put the fire out. He's going to step up and do the manly thing, oh, 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 right? 
Here's what we're going to do. We're going to send Jacob away, and I'm going to bless him. And, and what you're going to do is you're going to go up, and you're going to see your uncle Laban, and he'll take care of you. And then he pronounces the blessing. And, and in verse 4, he connects that blessing to Abraham. And basically what he's doing is he's transferring the mantle that was transferred to him. And he's saying, you're the next head of the family here. He's left no choice to do it. But notice what he's doing here. He is sending his son, who already has a propensity for being deceitful, right? And where is he sending him to? He's sending him to his uncle, who happens to be a deceiver as well, and he knows it. And the third fruit I want you to see if you don't, if we don't, as parents, correct the dysfunction in our families is this. We will lose any amount of influence that we have over our children. We abdicate our responsibility here and we will lose any influence that God has rightfully given to us as parents over our children. It is scary to me. Can I just speak honestly to us as parents this morning? It is scary to me how much of the responsibility of parenting that we have turned over to the world. That scares me. Can I wake us up to this? The world is not our friend. The world doesn't want to see our kids grow up to love and treasure Jesus and to one day live with him. They want our, our world wants our kids to hate Jesus and to go on the highway to hell. That's what our world wants. And yet we turn over and we just hand the world our influence. You say, oh, this is a rail on public schools. No, this is a rail, this is a rail on anything that we do where we don't know what our kids are being taught, what are, what, who, is, who is responsible for our kids. If your kids play sports, you better know every coach personally. And that coach ought to know where you are as a parent. If, if your kids are part of the chess club, you need to know the chess club advisor. If your kid is being taught, I don't care what school it is, Christian school, private school, public school, you better know each one of your kid's teachers really well. You better understand what it is that they're being fed with. You better understand the influence that's going on in their life. Because when you consider this, how many of you have kids who are in junior high or older? Who spends more time with your kids? You are their, you are their teachers. Some of you are like, I am their teacher. <laughs> but honestly, who spends more time with your kids? Are your kids more influenced by TikTok than they are by you? Are your kids more influenced by Instagram than you? Are your kids more influenced by YouTube videos than you all? Kids, guess what? When, you're, when your parents tell you to get off the electronics, it's not because they hate you. It's because they care about your soul. I hope that's right. Am I right, parents? It's because they care about your soul. I see some gentle nudging by dads. I love it right now. And all the kids are like, Oh, Dad, I knew he was going to do that.
But what Isaac and Rebekah have done here is not what they set out to do as parents. Let's be clear. They never set out to be like, you know what, we're done parenting. And I realize these sons are 77 years old, but there was still influence that they had in their lives, right? And the choices they made have now totally cut them off. They have for 20 years and for the rest of Rebecca's life, she has no influence at all in her son's life because of the choices that they made. Our parenting decisions affect our ability to have influence on our children's life. There's a final fruit of dysfunction here, and we find it in verses 6 through 9. Now, we know, because we looked at Hebrews last week, Esau Esau is not a transformed man here. This is a classic case, but and, and when it's in little kids, it's kind of cute to an extent, but when it's with adult kids, it's just downright ugly here. But this is a classic case of, of the one son seeing what the other son does to get blessing, and so he imitates it so that he'll get the blessing too, right? It's kind of like whenever you reward one kid for doing something good, and the other kid's like, oh, I did that too, I did that too. None of, that never happens in your families, Right? Esau observes Jacob getting the blessing. He observes that that it's going to please Isaac if Jacob goes and and doesn't marry a Hittite woman. And so what does Esau do? Mind you, he already has two Hittite women who are his wives. What does he do? He goes out and he's like, you know what? I can find find a wife who's not a Hittite, and and I'm not going to find her from the homeland. No, I'm going to go to our cousin Ishmael. I'm going to go to Cousin Ishmael, and I'm going to take his daughter and make her my wife, which, by the way, were the Ishmaelites considered God's favored people either? No. And what you have here is this dysfunctional parenting leads to your children competing for your favor. Let me just tell you, parents, if you feel like all of your parenting is trying to make your kids happy and, and, and them trying to compete to make you happy, something's not right in the home. Because all kids should be miserable all the time, right? No. It's not what I'm saying. But if your kids feel like they have to compete for your love, something's wrong here. And this is what Esau is doing here. He is competing with Jacob. Now, if we were to end here, this would be the most hopeless message of all time. Because I'm sure, just like when I was preparing this, that, that as, as I was going through this, I'm like, yep, guilty of that, yep, guilty of that, done that, seen that fruit, yes, this is great. What's missing in this text? Well, I'll tell you what's missing in this text. I'm so glad you asked. What's missing is what we see throughout the whole thread of Scripture, the thread of grace, the, the thread of repentance, the thread of change. You see, those all come from Christ at work in a parent's heart. Those all come whenever, whenever as moms and dads, we humble ourselves at the foot of the cross, literally. Because let's be honest this morning as parents. Can, can we just be painfully honest as parents and grandparents? 
And by the way, the choice of favoritism, I actually see it more in grandparents than I do with parents. And it's sad. It's sad. We all have some form of dysfunction in our parenting. Anybody want to argue that with me? We all do. If you're sitting here this morning and think you don't, your dysfunction is your pride. But it doesn't have to stay that way. This is why God's given us His Word. It doesn't have to be that way. Not just to point out what's wrong, but to point us to grace and forgiveness and Christ who who makes all things right, who makes all things new. You see, real change in families doesn't come from like this self-determination and this like buck up attitude, I got to do it better this week. Guess what? You may do it better this week, but next week you're going to screw up big time. It doesn't come from that. It comes from real change in real hearts. And it comes through the gospel working in and through us. It begins with responding to the offer of the gospel, does it not? Being transformed by the fact, humbly admitting, yes, I'm a sinner, I screw things up. I sin, I rebel against God, and I need some real heart change, and that's what Christ died to give us, was heart change. And it continues in moms and dads who are daily humbled by the gospel, You know, the best thing you can do as a parent is wake up and and, and just confront yourself with this truth. I'm going to screw up today, but my Savior died and He purchased my forgiveness so that I don't have to live in this failure. Isn't that a great truth? Not only are we humbled by the gospel, but we live out the radical changes that the gospel brings to us. Did not the gospel change you radically in your life when when you fully surrendered to it? And if the gospel makes radical changes in our hearts, can I just be blunt? Should not our parenting be radically different from the world's parenting? Shouldn't it look different? It should. Because the gospel tells me this, I'm not living to please myself, I'm living to please the one who did it all for me. And when I live that way, that becomes attractive even to my children who are watching me. When I'm living and following the example of Christ and I'm living for the glory of God, God does this thing where He makes it look attractive even to our kids. When we've been going through this, I've been over and over reminded of the passage in Matthew chapter 1 where it says that that He came, Jesus came to save His people from their sins. Guess who some of His people were? Isaac and Jacob. They're right there in the family line. You see, Isaac and Jacob and Abraham, these great heroes of the faith, they need Christ just as much as you and I do, and all the more. I'm guessing this morning that you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I've fallen into some of these traps. They're bad. They're not good. Let me give you the solution. How do you get out of the trap? 
Don't do it by self-effort. It's like getting caught in the bear trap or, you know, or, or, or the wolf getting caught in the wolf trap. Don't bite your leg off to get out of the trap. Don't do that. Throw yourself on the mercy of God and receive his grace. That's how you get out of the trap. You and I can't get out of the trap without totally crushing ourselves and hurting ourselves. You throw yourself on the mercy of God. You admit where you have been wrong. And not only do you admit it to God, you admit it to your children. Yeah, I did say that. You admit it to your children. We have screwed up. Can you imagine the change in Esau and Jacob's life if Isaac and Rebekah just sat them down and said, you know what, we have botched this whole thing as parents. Please forgive us. It's not enough just to throw yourself on the mercy of God. You've got to turn from those errors. That's what repentance is, right? It's turning away from. You, you turn from those errors. You go seek forgiveness from those you have hurt. And, and, then, and then you dig into the word and you follow God's plan for parenting. Like, okay, when you say it that way, PD, it's really, it's really easy. And then Monday morning hits, right? Or Sunday afternoon when you get home. Those old habits aren't just going to go away, parents. You're going to have to war against them. And I do mean that. You're going to have to war against them. Someone has rightfully said the Christian life is not for wimps. Christian parenting is not for wimps. Am I right? We've got a world that's fighting against what we're... We have a world that's telling our kids, oh, you have all these rights and you have all these things and you don't have to tell your mom and dad these things. What? That's the world we live in. And we better get it right in our homes, had we not? We better get it right. We're going to need a healthy dose of God's grace. Parents, you can't do this. That's the best news I can give you. You can't do this in and of your own strength. You need God's grace and power to do this right. That's, that's bad news, good news, right? You're not going to do it in and of your own strength. You're, you can't, here's the thing, can you protect your child from every evil in the world? Can you possibly do it? You're not going to do it, but, but you know somebody who can, don't you? Parents, do you know somebody who can protect your children from all this? Yeah, you do. Hopefully you know him very well. And hopefully you're connecting your children to the one who will protect them, the one who will sustain them, the one who will guide them, the one who loves them more than even you love them. You say, you don't know how bad I've botched this up. Oh, I can guess. And guess what? It's not worse than any other parent who's ever lived. Throw yourself on the mercy and grace of God. Father, when we consider Isaac and Rebekah, and we consider the fruit that came out of those poor choices, we can't help but just pause before you and beg of you, God, protect our families. God, make us to be the kind of parents and grandparents that will lead our children to Christ. 
It's not just a buzzword that we're pointing lives to Jesus Christ. It's not just some slogan. It's, it's what we all desperately need. I need to be pointed to Christ. Every parent in this room needs to be pointed to Christ. Every grandparent in this room, every, every married couple that doesn't have children yet, they need to be desperately pointed to Christ so that one day when you do give them children, it'll be natural for them to take them to Christ. For those in this room that don't have any kids and they don't have any kids in this game, how desperately we need our church to be pointing people to Jesus Christ so that our children will get to Christ. Make these things to be so, we pray. In the name of our wonderful Savior, the one who does give us grace, the one who, who makes forgiveness and repentance possible, the one, the one who, who gives us grace upon grace upon grace that we do not deserve. In the name of Jesus, amen.